You're listening to the Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am your host, Summer Gilbert, and I am the Director of Marketing and Branding here at Pacific Companies. And my lucky co-host today is Pacific Companies EVP of Training, the one and only Chris Call. Today on the podcast, we're talking to Katie Thompson, physician assistant out of Seattle, Washington. Katie is really unique. Her specialty is forensic medicine, and it's one that we don't hear about very often. She's also so inspired by this specialty that she started and runs a small LLC specializing in education and empowerment around interpersonal violence. So we're really excited to have Katie here today and to learn more about what forensic medicine is all about. And just a quick reminder, this podcast is intended to be an open forum. Any personal beliefs, views, or opinions represented in this episode are that of our guest and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Pacific Companies. So please have an open mind and remember that this podcast is not a news source, but rather a safe and neutral platform for candid conversations. Thank you for being here with us, Katie. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. To start this out... Um, for the listeners who may not know what forensic medicine is, um, how would you describe it? So the way I usually describe forensic medicine is it's kind of the intersection between medicine and um, like investigation of a crime. So um, I or the collection of evidence in relation to a crime. So myself specifically, I work with living victims of sexual assault, domestic violence, child abuse. Um, both sexual and non-sexual child abuse and human trafficking, along with a few other assorted crimes. And I basically, I gathered DNA, photographic, and interview-based evidence of crimes committed against them. And then I also evaluate and treat injuries and prophylactically treat patients for exposures to uh, sexually transmitted infections, pregnancy risk, HIV, et cetera. Wow. Can you tell us more? Have you seen an increase in the human trafficking? We see all these people migrating from country to country these days. Is Has that been an uptick in the past couple of years? Oh, definitely. And I think we're also, you know, uh, one of the sort of um, catch-22s of crime overall is as we become more aware of a crime, we see a natural increase in that crime because we are looking for it um, with greater frequency. So I do think that, you know, that accounts for part of it. But I would say for sure, um, depending on you know where you live in the country or the world, um, we're definitely seeing more of it. Um, you know, I uh, I know that like where I used to live in Los Angeles, that was like one of the major hubs for human trafficking. Um, wow. And Seattle is not far behind, honestly, because any anything that's basically on a port or has a lot of kind of like in and out traffic or is near a border is going to be um, at a higher a higher risk for human trafficking populations. Wow, that's super heavy. With all that being said, what made you want to get into forensic medicine? So, <laughs> well, it's everything in my life, basically. My my uh, trip into forensic medicine was a bit circuitous, um, but kind of totally makes sense at the end. Um, I, For my whole life, basically, I've been really interested in, in the world of interpersonal violence. And, you know, before I became a PA, I, was, I, I taught a, a women's self-defense class for almost 20 years and um, I was just really interested in that stuff. And I was also a rape crisis advocate, so I was a volunteer um, to provide sort of emotional and logistical support to survivors of sexual assault. Um, and then when I became a PA, 
So shortly after I became a PA, a newly minted PA, um, I decided um, to run a marathon to support my old organization that I was working for as a rape crisis advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I ran into my old supervisor there uh, at I like a, a meeting for for the marathon runners, and she so she goes, oh well, I just put a job posting up like yesterday for a PA or an, or an NP. Um, for to be a forensic examiner, and I was like, "Oh, take it down. You, you can hire me. I, I want wow. that job." <laughs> wow, what fate! And the fact that you've been interested in this for so long, and then given this opportunity, it was almost like it was meant to be. I, I sometimes think it was. I, I think that I've always been sort of just drawn in this direction, and, and even in medicine, like I was always sort of compelled to do research in those areas. And so, I don't know, maybe maybe it's a higher calling of some kind. For sure. I believe it. What do you like least and most about forensic medicine? Well, so I, um, I double specialize. I specialize in emergency medicine and also forensic medicine. Um, and so I think least uh, is probably where that intersection is and where I see like areas of improvement in emergency medicine. Mm-hmm. To, to better serve victims um, on the forensic medicine side and, um, you know, kind of navigating that world a little bit can be frustrating. Um, yeah. But honestly, like, I, you know, it can be a really difficult subject matter, um, but I really, I love everything about my job. Um, and I would say most, what I like most is that, you know, you are really wading into somebody's worst moment and you are, you are um, genuinely providing like a concrete step towards recovery. Um, and I think that that's my favorite part is seeing people like leave after, after they've spent, you know, a couple hours with me and uh, being like obviously just a little bit lighter uh, in soul or in body, you know, by having completed that, that part of the investigation. Yeah, that's powerful. What would you say a, a typical day, typical week might be there? Maybe it's not typical, but kind of swap us through. Sure. So, um, you know, my my dream, my goal one day is to is to do forensic medicine full time. Um, but as it stands, you know, I, I split my time between emergency medicine and forensic medicine. Um, so my forensic medicine uh, position is is an on call one, um, and so I I sign up for a particular number of hours of call, and I work my ER shifts so kind of around that. Um, but call is is you know, anywhere from a total no-hitter where you don't get any calls or uh, you, you know, you leave. We usually work, like, I've, on weekends, usually, like, a 24-hour shift, um, and on weeknights, like, a night shift. Um, and some nights, you, you know, the, the pager goes off at, at the, you know, the, the moment you go on call and it and you stay there all night. And some nights, it's like you sleep like a baby. So um, it really very much depends, but... Um, we usually get our patients from law enforcement, um, so mm-hmm. they will call in and say, hey, we're going to be headed your way with, you know, with a victim. Um, this is our ETA, and then it's my job to kind of to kind of get there and set everything up and make sure that, like, all of our equipment is good to go, um, and then, you know, I start, I start with the whole investigation. And each case usually takes about two to three hours, depending on the complexity of the case. Yeah. Are you in, so you, do you work at different ERs in the area for forensic or is it out of one? Um, so that uh, depends hospital. on, on the area. I just recently moved to Seattle, so I'm still kind of establishing myself up here. 
um, where I worked in LA, uh, we did a combination. So uh, we we had a a freestanding like exam center, mm-hmm. um, and then we would occasionally, depending on what kind of case we were looking at, we would occasionally respond like uh, do a mobile uh, response to like local ERs um, mm-hmm. if it was deemed necessary. Is there a certain time of the day or week or evening that you find you get more calls? A good question. <laughs> um, you know, I think if you talk to anybody who's ever spent any time in emergency medicine, they'll tell you it's, it's always the full moon. Um, <laughs> and I think those sort of um, those superstitions sort of stand for forensic medicine, too. Um, it, it seems like we are busier when the moon is full, um, and it seems like we are busier on weekends. Yeah, uh, or towards the end of the end of the weekend. So like Sunday morning is often kind of astonishingly a busy time, and then uh, Sunday night is usually pretty busy as well. Yeah, I, it seems like obviously dealing with um, a lot of these victims, and then even your time working in emergency medicine, I'm sure you take a lot of stuff home. How is that? How have you learned to deal with that? That's a really good question, and I think it's really important to a uh, very important one, um, and a skill that I had to learn, you know, pretty early on um, because of my, you know, double specialties. Um, so I, I very much, I work very hard at not bringing stuff home, um, and I, and I have a very strong support network for when it's not possible to not bring it home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do a lot of kind of like mindfulness. Um, and I and work really hard on like work life balance. So you know, I, even if I you know want extra money or um, feel like I could pick up an extra shift or two, I often don't because it's really important to maintain that time um, to kind of like recover and bounce back. Um, and then I have like a lot of things that I do during that time that kind of help me uh, reground and recenter myself. So I do a lot of physical activity that helps keep me kind of calm and and focused. Um, and then I also I also have a like a, a therapist that I see sometimes when you know when I when a case hits me sideways and it's, it's really difficult for me to manage um, and you know she is able to kind of like talk me through some of that in a in a secure and confidential environment um, and I think that's really important for for listeners to know too. For sure, finding a healthy way to deal with your stress is one of the most important things. Walk us through. Um in the forensic area of your specialty, kind of the team that you work with for, you know, our listeners that might be considering get into forensics, what they might you know, see as far as support network. Sure. Um, so we work very closely with the law enforcement side, as you can imagine. Um, so um, the, the people that I deal with most commonly um, are our patrol officers, first of all, and those are supposed to be initial investigating officers on an incident. Um, and then I also deal, I, I have usually very close relationships with the detectives in the area. Um, so there's usually at least one or two detectives, sometimes hundreds of detectives assigned to a, a like sex crimes unit or, um, you know, a, an interpersonal like crimes unit of some kind. Um, they're the ones that end up investigating like kind of all these cases, so these get like shuffled across their desks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I frequently, you know, uh, interact with them um, for for like additional information, or if we need like a follow up interview or something, that's often where like I'll intersect with them. Um, and then I I also deal with the the legal side of things. So I I um, often testify in court. 
um, and I, uh, when I testify, it's usually like as, well, I mean, maybe 50% of the time as an expert witness. Um, so I deal with district attorneys a lot, um, and, uh, you know, assistant district attorneys, um, lawyers, other, other people that are kind of like, um, forming the sort of legal arm of, you know, what's happening. Um, and then from the medicine side, we have a, um, a supervising physician, um, would that be a psychiatrist? No, it's usually an MD. Um, okay. And it, it's usually uh, they they usually have some sort of like personal interest in interpersonal violence uh, mm-hmm. or a specialty, um, or and they're often kind of like uh, they're usually boarded in like family practice or emergency medicine. That's what mm-hmm. I see the most commonly. Um, but they review all of our case files. Um, and, and just make sure that they kind of like agree with our with our investigation and stuff. Um, and they're the ones that kind of that allow us under protocol basically to to um, dispense medications and stuff. Um, because my coworkers, I'm actually often like the only PA that works on the team. It's most often and uh, NPs and RNs. Mm-hmm. Um, so my coworkers are are working more under protocols than I am because they don't necessarily have a prescriber's license to give medication. As far as forensic medicine goes, what's the most common case that you see? I would say it's a, it's pretty evenly split into thirds between like human trafficking, uh, adult sexual assault and like child sexual abuse. Um, And there's a, there's a lot of kind of like sub, um, you know, categories under that as far as like what I see most common in, in each one of most commonly in each one of those kind of like, major categories, but I'd say it's pretty evenly split. Um, and it, it really, it also very much depends on like the area you're working in yeah. and what's being reported. It's almost like um, you are a PA slash psychologist in those moments. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we definitely, we also, oh, that, that's another, another person that's often on our team is um, uh, some sort of therapist or advocate. So they have like some either some basic or more advanced like psychological training. So they frequently provide like a lot of the emotional support, but you definitely end up um, also being kind of a prime, you know, recipient of a lot of that, uh, a lot of that from the victims. Mm-hmm. Given your interest in mes- uh, medicine, Katie, did you ever think about becoming a physician? So, I, I mean, I certainly considered it. Um, like everything else in my life, uh, though, medicine was kind of a, a long journey to get here. Um, so I, I actually started out, I have a master's degree in theater, and I, ironically, I kind of specialized in um, in like special effects makeup. So I was actually recreating like injuries and, and you know, uh, trauma injuries and stuff. <laughs> so it's kind of funny that I ended up here. But, yeah. um, you know, by the, by the time that I got to the point uh, where I was interested in medicine, what I knew I wanted more than anything was, um, was kind of like flexibility and the ability to kind of do multiple things at once. And so um, I chose PA specifically, and I, I am very happy with my um, decision because it does give me such a great amount of flexibility to do different things and, and try um, lots of different areas of medicine. If you weren't, or if you didn't do forensic medicine, what, would, what do you think you would have gone into? I think probably like trauma surgery or general surgery or, or emergency medicine. I, um, you know, I uh, I actually looked into to working in forensic medicine when I was in PA school and I couldn't find any real clear information on it. And so I kind of gave up a little bit and I was like, oh, I don't know if this is really going to happen. And then I, you know, 
fortuitously ran into my old boss and she made it happen. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, you know, I, I think probably without that, I would have ended up just pestering a bunch of emergency rooms into letting me do something that resembles forensic medicine. <laughs> yeah. Given that you're on the front lines, Katie, uh, in the past couple of years, how have you seen maybe the practice of medicine change since you're also in the ER? You have a lot of uh, depth of experience that maybe you can give some insight to the listeners. Yeah, I mean, uh, medicine is an, is an ever-changing field, um, and it's, it's one of the most dynamic and interesting parts about being in medicine is that um, every day is something a little bit different, and, and the field change, it changes quickly. So, I mean, from my perspective, um, I think that uh, I see a lot of fluctuations in, in emergency medicine and even in forensic medicine, um, depending on uh, what kind of... Uh, uh, like law uh, or what kind of laws are being passed around like healthcare. So, you know, when I started my career, it was before like Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act or, you know, any of that. So like we had a, a huge population emergency room for primary care um, type stuff or um, for things that, uh, that were, you know, under managed or, or inadequately managed because they didn't have enough like primary care coverage. Um, so chronic conditions, things like diabetes and hypertension, emergencies, you know. Um, and then we did see definitely, like, a fluctuation in that when, when the Affordable Care Act was passed. Um, I mean, I don't have any, like, numbers to really back it up from, you know, this is a colloquial perspective, but um, I feel like I definitely saw a drop-off in the number of emergencies. So people were, like, better managed on the primary care side, so they weren't having as many, like, you know, uh, DK, uh, diabetic ketoacidosis, like, episodes or um, hypertensive mm-hmm. urgencies or stuff like that because they were, you know, able to access their medications and stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, I definitely think, like, on the front lines, we, we are, you know, impacted by the kind of um, by the kind of legislation that's passed. Given that, I know you've just moved to Washington, but do you see any different approach, uh, medical and legal between the states of Washington and California to forensic medicine? Yeah, so uh, for, for in forensic medicine, uh, we are definitely affected by the kind of legislation that is that is in effect um, state and local, the state statewide and locally. Um, we um, the funding for forensic medicine programs is spotty at best, um, and so. Um, you know, we, uh, you may have been hearing recently about like the Violence Against Women Act being like, uh, renewed. Um, mm-hmm. and that was a bit of a struggle this year, which is always really discouraging to see, um, cause it's such a valuable piece of legislation. Um, but that also definitely earmarks a huge amount of funding for organizations that, um, either assist victims or that provide, like, kind of the forensic medicine aspect. So, um, and then each state also is allowed to sort of earmark um, Violence Against Women Act funds or other funds that they are receiving or grants they're receiving for specifically, like, uh, forensic medicine-type pursuits. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it definitely uh, is different depending on, on where you are yeah. um, as far as, like, what the, what the laws are. So one of my favorite questions to ask is, what is your most interesting case so far? Um, but I was just about to ask that, and it hit me, this is different with your specialty, with forensic medicine, because not only is this really sensitive stuff, but it's asking you to relive 
a situation? How do you feel about this question? Well, so I, I think I could definitely answer it in the general sense. I um, obviously, like you said, and I appreciate your sensitivity. You know, we um, we're very strictly bound by a lot of um, you know privacy laws um, and also by legal statutes that prevent us from kind of sharing specific information, um, yeah. especially while there's an active investigation. Um, but you know, I would say that um, in general, like uh, I see, I see a lot of different levels of of cases and um i think some of the most uh well one of the most interesting cases i think i ever i ever was involved with um and this one is is closed or i I can speak in terms of non-specifics but Mm -hmm. um you know we we actually had um a case where uh, so to to explain to kind of explain a little bit further um you know the, the field of dna medicine is changing rapidly and it's getting much more sensitive um, and so we, you know, previously, like, we could barely get a sample out of, like, um, like a, you know, a direct, like, saliva sample. Yeah. And now it's so sensitive and so good that we can pick up, like, touch DNA off of things. So just wow. by, by, like, slapping someone on the cheek or by grabbing someone on the arm or even, like, a steering wheel or an item of clothing, grabbing it, you leave skin cells behind. And we're now able to pick up um, samples of DNA from, from things like that. So we actually have had um, several cases that have been like um, like attempted kidnappings, for example, like where um, you know a child was was like almost grabbed from you know the yard or the school or something like that, and um, we were able to swab where they were grabbed uh, or where the where the perpetrator touched them, mm-hmm. and a few times we've been able to to match DNA off of that and arrest a person. Wow, the level of science these days just blows me away. And I really hope that these advancements and these forensic technologies deters uh, people from, you know, making those mistakes in the first place and, you know, keeping some people safe. So really incredible story. Thank you for sharing. Katie, is there a, a personality type that you think is best suited to consider forensics as a potential career option? What a good question. Um, I I think that um, the people who kind of flourish in forensic medicine um, are very similar to the ones who flourish in emergency medicine. And the skills that I think, um, or the personality traits that I think um, best kind of cross over um, are, you know, sort of a, a boundless well of empathy or compassion. Um, and then also, a, a certain flexibility of personality in, in many different ways. So meaning like, you know, you, you're used to working in austere or, or adverse conditions. Um, you're accustomed to working through like exhaustion and, um, and, you know, working in the middle of the night or working off shifts or other things like that. Um, and also being able to like kind of adjust your response to people depending on kind of what, what, type of person is sitting in front of you. So I find that skill really valuable in emergency medicine. Like not everyone is going to enjoy like a lot of jokes or mm-hmm. like, you know, a, a kind of light environment in, in a room, um, like in the emergency room. You know, not everyone's gonna gonna respond well to that. And so if you are able to sort of like adjust and sort of flow with what the patient um, is wanting or feels comfortable with, then yeah. I think that that really translates well into forensic medicine. Um, and those are the skills that I find that I, you know, use the most often and that, you know, I see in my coworkers as well. And then same question for someone considering the ER. 
Yeah, so I, I think there is a lot of crossover, um, but people who end up in emergency medicine are the <laughs> kind of the hard drivers of medicine. Um, you know, yeah. we're, we're the ones that, um, that are like the workhorses, the hard workers. Um, not, not to say that other specialties aren't hard workers, but we work the off shifts. We work, you know, a variety of different things. We have a certain flexibility, both of personality and also of, um, of time. Um, so you don't really get to go into emergency medicine expecting like a nine to five schedule, you know, Monday through Friday. Um, you go into emergency medicine expecting to work, you know, weekends and holidays and every every moment in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that 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 is, you know, that's one thing that I look for in people that I work with in the in the ER, and also just a certain like cheerfulness of spirit, like you just roll it, you know, roll your sleeves up, dig in, like. Yeah. If there's, you know, 100 people in the waiting room, when there's 100 people in the waiting room, we're just going to bounce through them as, you know, as, as um, like, in, in whatever way we can. But, um, you know, we just we just all need to kind of, like, roll up our sleeves and pitch in. Right. Now, Katie, um, I noticed there's a couple articles that you, you have online. Um, what inspired you to start an LLC? And can you explain that to our listeners, why you did that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm super passionate about uh, about my business. Um, so I run I run a, an LLC called uh, IPV Educators, so like Interpersonal Violence Educators. Um, and I started it actually um, a little over a year ago um, because from from the beginning from my time in forensic medicine, um, I I actually. I um the very first time that I ever like presented or spoke about forensic medicine was during PA school and it was because I realized as I was going through the PA school curriculum that there was really like very little coverage of any topic related to interpersonal violence there was like one lecture on sexual assault and it was like um you know just not not great coverage as far as like what people really want to know about like how to interact with survivors of sexual assault or interpersonal violence and the the more I thought about that and the more I like talked to other people I realized that there's like this this gap where um, largely healthcare uh, programs are allowed to sort of like make their own decisions about this type of curriculum Um, and many uh, for many, you know, I mean, PA school is packed. It's got there's a lot of very important topics in medicine. Same with med school, you know, a lot of very important topics to cover. And I think um, there's sort of this this feeling or this like uh, this sense that like, well, we have to cover like hypertension, we have to cover heart disease, we have to cover diabetes. And what are the chances someone's going to see, uh, you know, a survivor of, of interpersonal violence, depending on like which environment they go they go into? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a there's a uh, tendency to kind of downgrade the importance of this other material um, and not out of, you know, bad intentions, but just the way that, that med school curriculum and PA school curriculum are designed. So the, the more I talked to people, the more I presented, and the more I realized like how hungry people were for this, for this information, the more I realized that there was like an opportunity here to kind of um, improve education and empowerment around interpersonal violence. Cause I don't think it has to be something that we fear talking to people about. Um, mm-hmm. And we also know that it's a crime of secrecy. So the more we can bring it out into the light, um, you know, the the better we become, kind of as a society. And so that's kind of where where I started with IPV educators. 
Um, I do a lot of consulting work, a lot of um, lecturing for individual programs and helping them build a comprehensive curriculum, and then a lot of work with, like, hospital systems um, to help them kind of develop CME um, or CE options for, uh, for interpersonal violence. Wow, that's super inspiring. Incredible. Uh, gosh, we're almost out of time, but one of our last questions, anything you know now that you wish you knew coming out of schooling? Oh, what a good question. <laughs> um, I think that, um, like, there, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things that kind of happen organically as you kind of head out into the, into the big bad world of, of medicine out of, um, out of school. But I think the number one thing um, is that, uh, that I would say that I've learned is that money is not, the only thing that you should be looking for in a job and that it really it really is worth like taking a pay cut to work with people who are supportive and um and help your you know help you grow didactically yeah. and professionally um and so you know not to say that I had bad experiences there but rather just that I think that that is something that I've really come to value in my career yeah if someone wants to uh, reach out to you and find out more about your IPV educators, uh, how would they do that? Uh, yeah, thank you for that. Um, I uh, I love hearing from people. Like even if uh, you just have like a random question, or you want to get more involved, or um, you you want to help develop like some lectures or something, I would love to hear from you, no matter what it is. So I have a website. Um, it is. Uh, uh, it'll be in the, the, note, the notes, I believe, for the podcast, but it's uh, ipveducators.com, so www.ipveducators.com, all one word. Um, or I'm also on Twitter at ipveducators, um, or you can reach me at, drumroll please, ipveducators at gmail.com. So uh, any of those will work, and I will include all of those um, in the notes for the podcast as well. Well, Katie, what a journey you've been on, and we've been so honored to be able to talk to you today and learn more about what you do, and I hope you inspire others by seeing, you know, not only what you're doing in forensic medicine and emergency medicine, but out there with your LLC and, you know, doing all you can to make a difference, so I really, really appreciate your time. And I'm looking forward to chatting with you again in the future. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to share. I'm very passionate about it. Um, so I, I just love sharing. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to inspire more people to consider this. Well, thanks again. Have a wonderful day. And we'll be in touch. Okay, awesome. Thank you. And I hope you guys have a great day. Thank you to all our listeners. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. If you'd like to be a guest or for more information, go to www.pacificcompanies.com.